What's up, everybody? Merry Christmas. Welcome back to the show. I hope you all had an amazing holiday season. I know I certainly did. I've just emerged from my Christmas Eve eggnog and spice rum slumber. Might have overdone it a bit, but uh, nevertheless, an amazing time with friends and family. So my guest today is Will Reeves. Will is the CEO of Fold, and Fold is an app that allows you to earn Bitcoin when you shop. There's a couple other apps around that are similar, and so I wanted to get uh, Will on to, one, discuss the differences, two, to get his impression or his experiences around pitching some of the largest retailers in the world about Bitcoin, how he positioned it, what he said, you know, what their level of interest or disinterest was, what their criticisms were, all that kind of stuff I thought would be really interesting. And then just to get Will's take on why he's in this industry, why he chose this particular product and service and all that kind of stuff. Just one quick note, uh, I caught him right when he was getting off the ferry somewhere in San Francisco. So there's a bit of background noise, street, people walking by, talking, that kind of stuff. Tried to reduce it as much as possible, but you can still hear it in, in several parts. Hopefully it's not too disruptive. Anyways, that's it. Enjoy. Let's do it. Thanks for taking the time uh, in the middle of your day to come have a chat. I uh, I appreciate it. I love the show and um, and definitely glad to uh, to take the time today. So uh, before we get going, we were just kind of reminiscing, talking about Thailand. What was your you know? Because I think a lot of Bitcoiners have at least had thoughts about possibly in the future relocating for whatever reason. Maybe it's because of turmoil. Maybe it's to have a better you know quality of life or jurisdictional arbitrage or something like that. How was your uh, your trip throughout uh, Southeast Asia and, and Thailand? You know, I, I wasn't quite going out to look for my, you know, my future citadel um, <laughs> quite yet. But it, it definitely was um, a chance to, um, you know, number one, take some time out, you know, m- mostly in California, Los Angeles and San Francisco. And so it was great to, you know, get out there, had spent some time with some family and friends. And so it's always good to refresh the perspective. And, you know, one of the things about... Um, you know, the Bitcoin community in general, it's it's particularly important to get out of your, you know, bubbles that you live in, whatever it is, because inherently this is a this is a a technology and a social experiment that is fundamentally global. And I guess continuing to refresh that that perspective, um, you know, keeps you keeps you humble, keeps you focused on the, the broader uh, implications of it. I find for me when I travel, it really puts you face to face with some of the reasons, you know, some of the the cases for Bitcoin, you know, because I think we have our higher level cases and then maybe down the line we have just kind of annoyances that we think a future Bitcoin world would fix. But, you know, just going to those uh, cash exchange places that are all throughout, you know, Thailand and Southeast Asia, I don't know if you had to use them, but, you know, I'm always, I always approach them thinking, this is so unnecessary. This doesn't need to exist at all, you know. And then, not to mention the fees and the 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 forex spread that they're charging and all that kind of stuff. But it's something you, when you travel, you really get to realize how much friction there is in in finance and money. I I had a, a couple of incredible moments at the during. It wasn't incredible, but um, where I was just trying to pull cash out, and I was. Uh, in a car, and I think I visited six or seven ATMs, uh, waiting in the lines, only to find out that for whatever reason I was not going to get cash there. Um, you know, some is probably user error on my 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 part, but um, you know that is a that is a reality that you know most of the world lives in, and you know 
like you said, it's it's good to see some of these applications where you're like, you know, Bitcoin fixes this for sure. Yeah. Um, but at the same point, you know, you know, it, it is it's it's not necessarily fulfilling that in a broad scale like you'd like to see right now. And so we get to live in the broken system with ideas of what could be um, and what could be fixed, even if it's not happening now. And I guess it, um, you know, it, it's to some in some respects, you know, being someone who you know runs a company, particularly looking at, you know, the U.S. and, you know, North America, you're like, what should I be focusing elsewhere right now where this is, has even even more immediate and drastic changes could ha- could happen. So it's good perspective change. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and, and in many places, it's, uh, you know, Gresham's Law in action. I don't know if you went to Laos or Cambodia or places like that, but, you know, they're more than happy to take Thai baht or U.S. dollar. But if you ever get Lao Kip or whatever the currency might be in, in exchange, you're going to have a real hard time getting rid of that, especially if you ever leave the country. Let's just say I came home with some a bunch of Lao Kip souvenirs. <laughs> I, I wasn't aware of that actually going in, but uh, yeah, I, I got stuck a little bit. Well, I thought when I went back to Thailand, I'd be able to change them at the currency exchange shops, and not one, I've been to several, will accept Lao Kip. So, and all I wanted was a cinnamon bun on my way to the airport. You know, I had to break a, a thousand baht or something like that, and I got, I, you know, basically I, th- I paid a thousand baht for a cinnamon bun. Um, but it, it, it's, it's, it's an interesting uh you know, way to think about things because that was kind of the promise of, or one of the promises of Bitcoin early on, you know, banking the unbanked, that whole narrative. And, you know, I, I, obviously I think that's important because it's a very, you know, the, the lifestyle upgrade to be derived from having a more secure store of value and a more frictionless, less costly means of exchanging that value is, you know, very, very important. But, when people kind of say like, you know, we didn't we didn't really achieve that goal. I'm kind of thinking, is it not more important to kind of wrest the power of the control of money from the kind of uh, governments and states and power structures that have that asymmetric lever of power over the rest of the world first, and then let it trickle down after that? I I I, I could not agree more. Um, although I have a good caveat for this one, but. Yeah, I, I think just the, the, the pure existence of it um, and building the case uh, that it absolutely does provide a, a, a new ch- uh, check or balance of power that previously did not exist. It takes a while to really develop the infrastructure to make that counterbalance enough to even even stand up to what we, the current system that we have. And so it's going to take a while for that sediment to build. And it's not something that can happen instantaneously. Um, and so I, I completely agree. Building that is the number one thing. And some, some of these that will, will, these benefits will start to um, show themselves as that infrastructure strengthens and gets stronger and that counterbalance is more effective. You know, the means of exchange and the true, you know, you know, you know store of value or, ex, you know, ability to exit, a, you know, a, a unjust economy, things like that will, will come. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. you know, my, my big caveat to this one is that one of my first experiences with Bitcoin was um, I was down living in Argentina and uh, one of the first times I was ever exposed to, to Bitcoin as a concept was uh, I was living in a house down there and it was a big family party and uh, a, one of the cousins came over. He's a security researcher, software engineer, and he was just telling me all about Bitcoin. It was my first like 
one of my first real introductions where someone sat me down and was, you know, actually doing the shilling that I that we have come to know, you know, is, is, is uh, you know, we've all become very familiar with. And, um, you know, I, I left Argentina for a while. They went through a couple defaults and I keep on, uh, you know, uh, being in, in communication with this with this guy. And it genuinely was a store of value that allowed him to opt out of the, the economic madness that was occurring down in Argentina. Right. And it was one of these great moments where, you know, it didn't, it wasn't happening in any widespread capacity, but this guy was interested in it, knew the potential of it. You know, I don't think he was necessarily initially thinking it was going to be the thing that saves his life savings versus, you know, his family and friends that maybe didn't quite come out as well, but it ended up doing that. And so, you know, it was one of those incredible moments of like, just hit you on the head, clear use case on a very micro level that we're hoping to build even more. Yeah. You know, but I don't even see that as a caveat, right? Because that is it functioning as the opt out, you know, the, the car riding alongside the, the train that's going off the tracks, wherever it may be, you know, it is it is that opt out, I you know, and, and whether you're in Laos or in Argentina or the US or Canada, if you feel like the system is unsustainable or is robbing you of value or whatever, then just a simple fact that you now have an option to opt out in the way that Bitcoin allows you to do so is extremely powerful. I guess I was more referring to like, you know, people always bring up the like, it's not very practical to pay for a coffee, or at least it wasn't, you know, a, yes. couple, a couple years ago. And, you know, the thinking is always like, that's not a massive problem. You know, like, I get it, like, it, it'll be, it'll be cool. And I think that that will ultimately come. But that's not what's, uh, that's not the big game here. That's just a kind of thing that's going to be cool and great. And it's going to be a part of it. But there's not major problems in the world as a result of not being able to or having to buy coffee with your US dollar or your Lao Kip. That's not a huge thing, yeah. you know? I, I I completely agree. And for someone who actually enables people to buy coffee with Bitcoin <laughs> right now, you know, I the way I think about it is that, you know, Fold was initially started, you know, to not as a, hey, how can you become a better PayPal or a better better Visa, you know, faster, cheaper, whatever. It was actually to give Bitcoiners a way to say, this currency is real, I'm in public, I'm using it, and I can show friends and family that. And for the rest of the world, that actually is an issue with it, of understanding how to engage with it. And yes, the actual exchange and use of it to buy coffee is not as important as the moment and ritual of showing that it is valuable to, to other people. It can be used and it can be pushed back and forth without any intermediary. That was the real thing. Now, a bunch of other people said, you know, the real thing is actually it's cheaper and it's going to be faster and it's going to be better. And so they did all these other, you know, crazy things to um, try to make that, you know, they started their own experiment to figure out how that would go. And we all know how that's kind of ending up. Yeah. For us, we've always known that payments and, 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 and things like everyday uses of it are also incredibly effective means of evangelizing it and just getting it visible to the rest of the world. So you start to look at the guy down in Argentina or in Laos. It's the, the, the adoption where the train goes off the tracks, you know, one person is going to realize it. They're going to succeed and have benefited because they were ahead of the game. They realized something before anyone else did. Now, if we can do things that just put Bitcoin more present in just everyday life, 
more and more people have the ability to discover it. And more and more people can start to use it for the other advantages that may have. And so I think overall, the coffee thing has been a really interesting narrative of how it changes. But for us and you know, for me, how I always believe is that it is more about front, the coffee being more a symbol of everyday front and center. This is part of our culture and visible here rather than, hey, I got this for cheaper and faster than my credit card. Right. And how powerful will it be when you can, or, you know, in the circumstances where it happens now, where you can use Bitcoin to more quickly and, and with less fees buy a coffee, but then also to whatever naysayers are around say, see, I can do it even better, but I'm not. And you get them to think about why you might not be doing that. You know what I mean? I, I, I so, I mean, you know, this is, this is what we're working on. You know, part of the, part of the issue is that, you know, a lot of those people go, who went to go buy that coffee on chain, People were like, okay, I get it. Somebody values that Bitcoin. It's, it's, it's a bigger thing than just you telling me about it all the time. It has a whole ecosystem built around it. But I just watched you do it and you waited in line for 10 minutes. And I did see a fee there for $3 and the, the cup of coffee was two fifty. You know, it had this even element of, you know, this isn't, you know, okay, I, I see it. I see the ritual. It's visible. But it's clearly not a better, you know, thing. And so... Part of what we were doing, we, we were doing at Fold is when we saw, you know, how on-chain and medium, a medium exchange on the base chain was never going to be where any kind of everyday payments happen. And so if we were going to use this as a vehicle of evangelization or a Trojan horse, would you know, we need it to actually start to meet some types of standards. And so for us, we knew that was really going to come out in layer two. And we really looked at, okay, how do we actually make the experience um, uh, a, something that is at the level of what a, you know everyday person would expect? And so they expect to be rewarded for using it, not onerous fees, all of these things. And that, that comes with layer two. And so for us, it was like, okay, it's actually possible right now to deliver that experience. And so with Fold, that was something that I think we're fairly close to doing, save major regulatory changes on how you know, Bitcoin is taxed in everyday usage, the day is very close where the actual cup of coffee may be cheaper and faster. Right. So I think maybe this is a good time before we get too much further to actually break into exactly what Fold is for people that aren't familiar with it and exactly how it works. Yeah, of course. So um, Fold's, our, our vision is to make Bitcoin more accessible and rewarding to just everyday people. Um, our goal is to onboard millions of people into into Bitcoin, new Bitcoiners, mints, new ones. And so the way that we do it is we allow you to earn Bitcoin for sh uh, shopping at retailers, whether that's with your credit card or with your Lightning wallet or Bitcoin. And so what we do is we, we connect into these retailers and essentially you send us Bitcoin through Lightning or a credit card payment. And we convert that into a gift card or store credit or prepaid credit at these retailers. And we give you Bitcoin as a kind of a cashback reward. And so the idea is that we create a really accessible way for anybody to start gaining exposure to the asset who may be curious about it, but not ready to sign up for, you know, Kraken and, you know, go through KYC and, you know, look at the price charts flowing green and red candles everywhere that are actually just overwhelming for a lot of people and give another way of people to gain exposure that where the barrier to entry is much, much lower with the idea that the product inherently allows them to start learning more about Bitcoin, it, its use as something that um, 
can be used every day, can be stored. And so we feel that, you know, Fold is a is an engine for for showing the showing Bitcoin as both the savings technology and the payments technology. Right. And what, what was the reasoning for going with, um, you know, getting Bitcoin back when you spend fiat and Bitcoin back when you spend Bitcoin? And is the rate between the two rewards different or is it the same just depending on your USD value spent? Yeah, I mean, the fold historically has been about Bitcoin payments. And then we said, OK, we're going to have to make this. We want to expose more people to Bitcoin to use Bitcoin. We need to incentivize them to Bitcoin. You know, one of the things about Fold, it's really not, you know, we, ha- we can talk as much as we want about a new monetary system, financial sovereignty, privacy, all of these things. But Fold has been in the trenches at checkout lines with, with regular people on, for, for a long time. And we know the way that you change behavior is through incentives, not through talking at them or, you know, throwing large, you know, uh, Bitcoin buzzwords at them, but you actually have real incentives. And so we instated uh, Bitcoin back rewards. We previously did discounts. We moved to rewards because our retailers actually like that model better. And we find that that users can start to accumulate. This is a great way for people to accumulate. If you're already going to buy that coffee, you can, you can, um, you know, accumulate Bitcoin doing so. And so that was going very, really well. And that um, we were getting, you know, the, the, the market, you know, for us increased. We had more uh, exposure to, to more people. We were onboarding people into Lightning wallets and, and, uh, and Bitcoin. And then the next thing is, okay, now that the, the, the product and the infrastructure is ready to go, now we're ready to introduce this to millions of people. And how do you do that is to actually meet them where they are at right now, today. And right now, when people make payments, they're doing it with their credit card. And that's just the reality. And so when we instated uh, uh, credit and debit payments, that was the idea is meeting consumers where they're currently conducting um, their everyday shopping today and allowing them to earn that same cash back. And so for us, it was really lowering the barrier to entry even more to become a way that we can truly onboard and reach brand new people who may have been curious about Bitcoin or have thought about it, but haven't quite taken the step of, you know, buying it, for instance. Yeah. And so when did you institute the uh, fiat purchases with Bitcoin back rewards? When did that first start? So that started um, in September, I believe. Yeah, around September. And what's the response been like so far? Because I kind of I imagine that people are more inclined to spend fiat and, and get Bitcoin back rather than spend Bitcoin. But obviously you have a a legacy of doing the, the latter. Yeah, yeah. So our our spread right now is about 70% is um, uh, USD transactions, 30% in Bitcoin. Fold is growing, you know, we're, we're, we're growing over 100% per month. And that really has to do with the fact that we added fiat. Yeah. The, the interesting thing is that when you use Fold, you know, we still have to deal with all of the negative things about the existing financial system or payments infrastructure when we when we accepted credit cards, which means we're taking a three percent hit on every single transaction. We're moving. We're putting ourselves up to chargebacks and the use of stolen cards and things like this that eat into you know what we can offer back as a cashback reward. So when you use Fold, you're able to earn on average five percent back with a credit card, but if you use Bitcoin via the Lightning Network, we give all of the savings back without, you know, all of the issues with processing fees and chargebacks. 
We give that all back to you. So you have, on average, earn three to four percent more back when you use Lightning, your Lightning wallet or Bitcoin. Interesting. But still, people want to hold on to that orange coin, right? It, it, yes. And so here, <laughs> but I mean, but it's funny, right? When, you know, this is all an experiment for us about how people use it because we are onboarding brand new people who have just been curious, have heard about Bitcoin. They don't understand it necessarily as a store of value. So we get support tickets coming in from, you know, people who this is their first Bitcoin they've had. And they say, okay, am I, do I spend this Bitcoin? Do I, do I hold it? Do I not? And it's, it's really helping us to figure out, you know, our job primarily, because if we are truly trying to be one of the first ways that people experience this asset, we also, it is also our responsibility to educate them about it. And we truly believe that it should be your choice what to do with it, as long as we're arming you with the right education. And so that's one of the things we're working on is, you know, how do you onboard them into a wallet? What's the right wallet for them to get into? How should they think about this asset as a payments or a spending technology, you know, or a, or a, or a savings technology? And that's actually different for every person. It's up to us to make it really clear for them so that they can make, you know, the right decision on their on their own. Yeah, I, I previously thought it was only in the States. So I only recently uh, got got it from the App Store for use in Canada. Um, is like, is it do you what's the process of going from one country to the next in terms of whether it's from the regulatory standpoint or from a merchant standpoint? Like, is there much extra work or how does that process unfold? Yeah, so we we have to we deal with the you know, when we integrate new payment rails into existing payment rails, we have to follow the rules of the existing incumbent and traditional system. And so what that means for us is that we uh, plug in via prepaid rails, that's gift cards, store credit, and those have their own jurisdictions that are run by issuers. And those issuers may span multiple countries, multiple continents, but it always depends retailer by retailer. And so, you know, when you use Fold, you know, one, you may be able to have access to some retailers when you're in Canada, when you're not, not from the others. And so for us, it's just making sure that we're hitting, you know, the, the easiest things that hit the most people first. And then, of course, we're going to start building into other areas. So like right now, when you look at prepaid rails, the most established infrastructure that we can immediately plug into and get moving is in North America, Western Europe um, and parts of Asia. And so that's what you're, where you're going to see the immediate growth of Fold. Um, however, we have plans and already have ideas and already starting conversations with um, people outside of that. So in Latin America, for instance, there's real opportunity for us um, as well as other places in the world. Yeah. Now, I heard you speak on Marty's show that you had a distributed team. Uh, I don't think you're all working from the same place. Is that right? Yeah, we are fully distributed. Um, we have uh, myself in the Bay Area. We have people in Austin, um, uh, Cleveland, New York, uh, and Atlanta. And we pretty much span you know, all over the place. People have moved around. People have come to live next to each other for a while and then moved away. Um, you know, it, it really is something that we are, number one, have found that's how we find the best talent um, as, an, as a new startup. Uh, that is trying to find the most talented people first. This is an incredible edge and um, uh, um, lifestyle and way of working that we can offer that we that not everybody else can. Um, but also, we truly believe that you know, fold 
as we grow, we'll need to, as we move into Western Europe, as we move into um, Asia, as we move into Latin America, our team needs to be able to respond the same way. And if we're hoping to run lean, that's another tenet of, that we have, is that we're going to need to, from the base, build up a remote culture that is strong as a remote culture first to then build out these kind of uh, ways to allow us to expand faster uh, while maintaining some kind of continuity between, you know, wherever region you're in. Right. Um, and so obviously there's some other uh, players in this, in the kind of Bitcoin back, you know, rebates market. There's Lolly, there's Pay. Maybe there's some others that I'm, I'm not familiar with. Mm -hmm. is, is What are the differences between for other than maybe merchants and the 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 rate of uh, the re the rebate or the reward, yeah. what are, what are the differences between you know these uh, different service providers? Yeah, I mean, so uh, all of the Sats back companies are essentially plugging into existing flows of cash um, that retailers have historically used to incentivize new customers. Fold plugs into prepaid cards, which is gift cards. You know, ninety three percent of Americans are going to spend or use a gift card every single year. Retailers use them to get new customers, to get more loyalty. Um, Starbucks is almost moving their entire POS systems to, to their own kind of gift card prepaid system. And so that's one. And that's, where, that's how Fold plugs in. And the, way, the reason why we do that is because we can power the payment and the reward. So when you use Fold, you, you actually have a credit card with us. You have your Lightning wallet with us. And you spend through us at these retailers. And so that gives us all kinds of new benefits um, besides just having the rewards piece. Um, other SatsBack companies have plugged into things like affiliate programs where retailers will say, we, we're starving for new customers and we're going to pay you X amount uh, per transaction to, to bring them to us. And so, you know, things like um, the browser extensions that are out there, Lolly being one of them. Those ones plug into affiliates that uh, are mostly online, and they they work um, where you don't actually have a you know payment with them, but you're getting rewards because they're bringing new customers and new loyalty to these merchants. And those merchants will pay them back at a at a later date. The, and uh, pay works you know virtually you know similarly, but they link it to your credit card. And so the high level difference is just what system are you plugging into that's an existing historical system that we can get immediately moving now and start shifting the flow of money from cash back or airline miles or points and then flow that money into bitcoin um if all of the bitcoin that was distributed last year or all of the rewards that were distributed last year were distributed in bitcoin 16 million bitcoin would have been distributed to americans alone and so Insane. you start to see you start to see how you can start to shift existing incumbent, you know, his, you know, uh, tried and true, um, mechanisms that, you know, have been around for a long time and you can just shift the funnel right into Bitcoin and have huge effects very, very quickly. And that's what we're seeing with sats back is that number one, a lot of people want Bitcoin who can't really get it right now or don't want to go through the existing channels. So these, all of these sats back companies are lowering the barrier to entry for that. And then number two, all these retailers have this infrastructure already set up for us to get going relatively quickly um, and start diverting the flow of cash into Bitcoin as opposed to, you know, whatever system. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited by, by services like this because, you know, as Bitcoiners, we've had the conversation with probably hundreds of people in our lives over the course of years, right? And very rarely is it like, you know, uh, 
a really compelling case that like really lands and they pick it up and they're like, damn, I didn't, I didn't realize I got to get my hands on some of the stuff. There's, there's a lot of apprehension, a lot of, you know, um, doubt and stuff like that. But just telling someone who's not interested in this stuff at all saying, next time you go to buy something, use this app and it, you, without, without any work, you don't have to worry about investing. You don't have to worry about diversity and it exchanges anything. You're going to get some Bitcoin. You don't do anything different. You still shop at Mac and get your makeup or wherever the hell it is. And you get Bitcoin back. I think, I mean, I'm super excited to, to see where this industry is at in two, three, five years, because it just seems like such a frictionless way that doesn't require people to change how they live or, or, or how they spend. And they'll, you know, as you say, they'll get their, their feet, their toes in the water and they'll start just realize it'll it'll demystify a lot of this for them. They'll be like, oh, this isn't like some super hard to understand, crazy geek technology stuff It's just another form of money. And then they may start down on the on the trail of wondering what kind of money it is. And then yeah. you know, we know where that trail ends. It's it's uh, it's exactly right. And you know what? If we look at how historically Bitcoin has flowed out, you know, initially Bitcoin is going to be mined out of the Coinbase and de delivered to miners that then sell it. And then that's originally how, you know, it started being distributed and that, you know, Bitcoiners started to get their hands on it who weren't miners and started to trade a little bit, started to, you know, just send it freely. People were setting up free Bitcoin faucets that you could just pull, you know, Bitcoin out of in the early days. And then it started to shift to, okay, um, set someone up with a wallet and then, hey, convince you and send it to you. You couldn't really do anything with it, um, but you could just explain it. And then things like um, uh, the idea of, um, you know, what else can we arm Bitcoiners with to essentially evangelize this, this system? And this is all sats back, um, easier UX and wallets. All of these things are essentially arming all of us that are listening to this podcast with easier means of spreading the virus to others. Yeah. And so you look at, you know, another great project I'm looking at is uh, Give Bitcoin Project. It's another one that's looking at an everyday thing that happens every day and flows of billions of dollars every year of the act of earning rewards for shopping or in Give Bitcoin's case, the act of giving a gift to somebody. We start to then take on these existing uh, behaviors, these, tr these, these ways that are ingrained in our culture that people are familiar with and just tweaking it a little bit to then bring them into this new world that we're trying to introduce them to. And so I think there's a lot more things that we're going to uncover new mechanisms that exist today that we're, people are going to find ways of just tweaking it a little bit to turn it into a massively efficient funnel for new Bitcoiners. Yeah. So exciting. And I, and I, I totally agree. Um, just one question I, I skipped over with regards to kind of the nuts and bolts of things. Do you have to establish, you know, because the, the Canadian merchants was something that I was excited about. And I actually just made a big Best Buy purchase today, but I don't think Best Buy Canada is, uh, is available on the plat platform. But do you have to establish uh, relationships with all the merchants that you work with to get, you know, whatever deal you get for the because I presume the way it works is I'm a, I'm a fold user. I buy the Home Depot card. You're kind of the intermediary. You intermediary. You get a hundred dollar Home Depot card for eighty bucks from Home Depot. Is that kind of how it works? And that's how you're able to give back. So, so all all, all sats back companies are dealing with the same. So there are there are established ways that you can go to retailers and get approved to be a either a re reseller of prepaid access, which is us, or a 
uh, affiliate marketer on their behalf. Right. There are there are websites you can go up, you sign up with your name, you say what you're doing, and the retailer will approve you. And for us, the way it works with us, we need to go to issuers who manage these prepaid programs um, uh, for these uh, retailers. We need to get whitelisted that our technology is safe and that we're you know generally past the standards needed to you know at least be a partner with them. It, and then the next step is then we're introduced to the retailers, and that's where we get to negotiate you know, the discount that we get that we pass on to the users, um, making sure that their brand is shown in the right way. Um, and that's where it you know, kind of gets into more of the actual approval process. And that's true whether you're doing it through an affiliate or you're doing it through prepaid. There's always an element of, of um, you know, having to be going through this actual approval process but it is all going through these established channels that are already there, just giving it our own Bitcoin spin. Do the merchants give a shit that it's you guys are rewarding your, your shoppers with Bitcoin or do they just see it? It's all the same. They're bringing more business to us. We don't give a shit what you turn it into and give it back to people. Like- it totally depends on the retailer. They're, each retailer has its own culture, its own ideas of what they do. Are they conservative? Are they you know pretty progressive about you know, how they want to engage? Do they... Do they are they scrapping for new customers and they need new people badly and so this is an easy way to open up a new market. It completely depends and that's like one of my main jobs is to really understand what these retailers need, so that we can you know position why and sell Bitcoin why they should be doing it. Now, the the harder sell is that you should accept Bitcoin or you know that we 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 should you know allow people to. You know, spend Bitcoin there, and that's a that's a conversation we don't really need to have with them because the way our uh, negotiations work is that we just get access to prepaid, and so we're selling that regardless of you know what what is coming in. It doesn't really matter. It's more about how are we rewarding and driving new customers to them. Now, we are very ready, and there's several retailers we're already talking to about. Okay, what? Tell me about Bitcoin. Tell me about the Lightning Network, and so. Their ears perk up when they see, well, when a Fold user goes to your retailer, they're the only person who is not going to have chargebacks involved in in their purchase with you and no processing fees and chargebacks. And so then they start to look and they say, okay, we're a retailer that's billions of dollars of volume a year and chargebacks are a $30 billion headache for them. That starts to become a very, very attractive thing for them to at least consider and start to look at. And so it's not our job right now to force them on it or to immediately get, you know, the largest retailers accepting Bitcoin natively. That's not the goal right now. The goal is to get them educated about this asset. And so when we look at, you know, that's it's mostly teaching them about the difference between a push and a pull payment. Why is Bitcoin final? You know, what, why can you not have a chargeback with Bitcoin? And they start to look at that. And again, we're talking only through incentives. So we're not saying, you know, you know, it is about financial sovereignty and, you know, any, anything like this. That's not how we're starting the conversation. We're saying this can have real economic impact. And already all the volume that's going through Fold, we're saving them 2 to 3% plus another 2 to 3% in the, in the reduction in chargeback exposure that they have. So they can easily start to do the math on their on their entire business model, and at least it starts to begin the path down. What is this asset? Learning more and continuing the discussion with full. Right, and so I get that when you go into the pitches, you focus, you know, obviously on how this benefits them, and not the whole philosophical. 
Hey, man. Knew it wasn't going to be perfect. <laughs> what happened? I think I accidentally hit the... the uh, oh, okay. The, I thought your phone died or something. <laughs> um, no, what I was saying was, I, you know, I get that you go in and obviously you're framing it in terms of how they can benefit from partnering up with you guys. They, they, they don't need the whole Bitcoin philosophy and, you know, shaking up the world and that whole thing. Um, but what are kind of just the reflex of reactions when you go into these pitch meetings, you know, you're the, you're the, they probably know that fold is a Bitcoin company. What, uh, is it like uh, curiosity? Is it indifference? Is it ridicule? What is kind of the most common, uh, vibe that you get from the people that you're pitching? It is, it is so fun to see because, uh, the most encouraging thing is that you start to realize that there are Bitcoiners everywhere in the most conservative retailers the there's always someone well placed and that often is what helps us get meetings too right is that someone is just interested in it gets it and is just helping you out now they're not like cheerleading but they're they're they are opening doors and so that's number one that's a good thing to see now the bad thing is that all of the fud that you have seen over the last 10 years comes in full force Part of the reason of their hesitant is Bitcoin. Isn't that the thing that X use and insert any kind of bad person or negative use of any type of currency? Um, that's, you know, that is something that we're automatically having to combat. You know, I've, I've talked to um, uh, uh, environmentally conscious retailers who, who market themselves with that and the, the, the FUD around the, you know, is Bitcoin a waste of energy or, you know, should we be, you know, that, that stuff starts to come up. And it's so it's no different than all of the other FUD that we've been fighting on a daily basis. Yeah. And I imagine it's real hard when it, like when the conversation does go down those roads. I mean, because anytime I've been really asked to explain Bitcoin, it's like, it's hard not to start at the foundation of like, what is money and, how, you know, and yeah. that, that whole thing. And obviously in a pitch meeting, you know, you, you don't want to sit Good. someone down and be like, have you ever thought about what money is? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, um, but I can imagine, you know, it's interesting and I'm not surprised to hear that, that those sort of questions pop up and those sort of concerns. Um, and to your point, like, You've said that, and now we have uh, the CEO of, of BACT has just become a, a senator, right? And we've got the people in Congress that over the past year have spoke up about. I feel like we're Bitcoiners are just like this massive sleeper cell army, right? And we're all just like biding our time and strengthening our defenses and doing doing our thing until such time when, when it actually pops off and emerges, we're going to realize that it was always a much bigger thing than we thought it was. You know what yeah. I mean? Because you're right. I, they're, they're everywhere. And you just got to scratch the surface and you, you end up finding people uh, every now and then that you, in places where maybe you least expected it. And I, it's, 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 I, I love that vision of the sleeper cell. And um, it's also not only, uh, you know, already minted Bitcoiners. There are genuinely people who are just open to this idea because what they see in this world plainly makes the core tenets of Bitcoin something at least curious or interesting to them because you can see, you can look around and, you know, the whole Bitcoin fixes this mean, you know, is one thing internally, but people do see that things are broken externally. And maybe Bitcoin's not the, the solution for that, but a lot of people are coming to the point where 
normal ways of dealing with stuff are clearly not working. And so more and more people start to be open to, to new things. And there's not such a reflexive, you know, uh, response to what it, what it could be. And so 100%. Yeah. My, my experience over the last, even just six months in having these conversations, I mean, right before this, we hopped on this call, I was down, uh, you know, at a, a brew pub, seeing a couple friends I hadn't seen in a long time and they're in media and entrepreneurs and stuff like that. And these conversations would have just fell on deaf ears, you know, a year plus ago. And now when I break into it, I get like wide eyed attention. And the biggest bullish indicator that I maybe have ever gotten, and I tweeted about this a couple of days ago, but uh, it was after like Sunday dinner one night, I was sitting on the couch with, with my sister, we we're watching uh, football. And uh, she just looked at me and said, you know, how many Bitcoin do you own? And I said, it's none of your fucking business. And then she then she went on to ask me all these questions. And she's, you know, God love her. She's amazing. But she's not into tech or economics or politics or any of that stuff. And uh, the fact that she, you know, she, she reamed off about, you know, 10, 15 questions before my admittedly long-winded answers kind of, you know, she, she had tapped out at about 30 minutes. But, you know, that for Impressive. me, that's a huge, huge indicator. And I was like, what is going on? Like something is trickling down or trickling through bullish. or getting through yeah bullish, bullish as fuck yeah um relevant to uh, myself and and canadian residents so we won't spend too much time on this but uh what is the process of well first of all is there much uptake in canada for for users of fold because i get this i get the sense that canada is kind of like you know not that interest well first of all not that aware or interested or conscious uh, um, or conscious really of money and the issues that are in the states are so there's so much so easy to find information on them like the federal reserve and how money works and the history of the dollar and gold and all that stuff there's not much of that and i don't you know there's not much chatter about bitcoin so i'm interested to hear from you what your experience with canadian users has been like i i i think we need to connect with some of the kind of more research bitcoin research um you know companies or, or organizations out there because just simply seeing the flood worldwide flood of when is fold going to be here we could distribute and on a on a graph and show that the first of all it is impressive how worldwide the conception of it is and how they've heard of something like fold in pakistan per se or you know anywhere else um it's been encouraging to see that it is something that is at global interest, number one. Uh, Canada specifically, we see a lot of interest there. Um, part of it is I think the Canadians who are, are Bitcoiners are incredibly vocal about having the service there. And they're um, starved, I think. There's, and, there's and not near as... Just right, exactly. Right right across the way, you know, things, are, things may be available that aren't available to them yet. Um, and so we do know that Canada is um, Canada is going to be our next uh, big area of focus. So we're going to hit Canada and the UK primarily first, um, with a fast follow on Mexico and Germany. Right. Um, now, again, like back to your other question of like, how do you make those decisions? A lot of it is based on you know what what rails are we using? What's the what is the infrastructure that we're basing on, and what's the easiest to move into that also matches up with you know, relative interest or demand that we can that we can see in those areas. And so uh, for us, um, we know that there is good interest in Canada. 
you know, we are available technically. Some of the brands can be used there, although we're really bad at telling you which ones can be. We are fixing that, so you know, we'll contact, we'll get you in touch with support about your Best Buy. Um, but we are absolutely uh, know that that is one that we can relatively easy get to um, with very clear demand and, and people, you know, ready to rock. So. Do you have to pitch the, the Canadian like entities of these, you know, mostly American uh, retailers, or can you just pitch them at HQ somewhere in the states? Yeah, so most of the time it's HQ, and the reason is because it all depends on what, um, uh, you know. So, for instance, um, a a Starbucks, uh, our our car our cards that you get from us can be used in Canada, Mexico, Hong Kong, um, Singapore, uh, the UK. And that's just all how that's just all how Starbucks has chosen how to run its POS systems, essentially, because we you know, one thing about Fold is that we, you know, we lower the barrier to entry for consumers, but also merchants. We make sure that, you know, you don't have to ship any new hardware, software or new training to any of your cashiers. Fold can just be up and running once you give us the go ahead. Um, And we work wherever your POS system works, you know, whether you're scanning codes at a register or you have alphanumeric codes that deep link into your app or, you know, whatever it is, Fold will natively work with it because we meet the merchants that how they're already doing business. And so we make it very easy for them to say, okay, you're going to bring us new customers and we don't have to do anything. And we're already working with other people that do this. Fair enough. Let's go. Do you work with any restaurants, like big restaurant chains in Canada? We have, uh, oh, in Canada, you know, I'm not sure. I'll get back to you on that. We're about to release a, a big, uh, a big restaurant, a big, re- <clears throat> a big restaurant group that has a series of several chains. Um, so I will check into that, see if they, they qualify. And do you think it would ever work? I, I guess the economics for, for consumer facing retail and, and maybe B2B is a bit different, but would it be ever possible, do you think, like your Costco's and your Cisco's and suppliers of various kinds would be, like, would be available on the platform? Or are they looking at other types of rewards or markets or something? So, again, it's so when you look at Fold generally, the highest cash back levels you're going to get are people that sell digital goods or things with um, uh, things like airline miles, higher, higher margins, or, or airlines or hotels. The lowest margins are the ones where businesses have the lowest margins. And so, you know, like a, a, a Target or an Amazon is, is on the lower end. You know, Amazon has, I believe, 2% cash back with credit card, 4% with Bitcoin. Um, but, you know, when you think about a Costco, which its entire model is based on having razor thin margins and making everything on the, uh, on the, on the uh, membership, that's really hard for them to give up. Um, you know, that for, for them. However, there are certain things and we are lo- looking at models that would may work for them because the, the thinner the margin you get are more often services that touch people every day and that people interact with every day. Yeah. So we know that it's important to be there. Uh, what's the approach to, you know, this is obvious, has always been a topic with Bitcoin, but it seems to be uh, increasingly so these days. But what's the your approach to privacy uh, at Fold? So, um, you know, one of our kind of visions about what we do and what we think is unique about Fold versus, you know, other sets back or any 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 other, you know, other other payment companies is that we're not just trying to tack on Bitcoin onto a payment 
or a gateway or a reward and just switch out USD or airline miles and just put Bitcoin in there. We're actually trying to remake these systems in ways that bring Bitcoin Big B, the ethos of it, the value system of Bitcoin, and Trojan horse it into these existing infrastructures. And so with Fold, one of the benefits is that, uh, you know, prepaid uh, prepaid um, cards and things like that have been a hallmark for privacy conscious individuals for a very long time. It's, you know, you've got your ad blocker, you've got your Tor browser, you, you have prepaid cards and, and, you know, and, you know, whatever. You have a whole suite of things. Um, and we package that and just it's just part of the natural plumbing uh, to allow every consumer naturally when they use us, when they go to the register and swipe their card, um, to allow, allow them to do it in a way that they're not giving up any personal data, no transaction details, and no location history. And so, you know, when you... Um, swipe your card with Fold, or you, when you add your card to Fold, so your processor only sees a payment to Fold, and the retailer only sees a payment from Fold. And so, and the only thing that Fold sees of you is that you spent um, this much at this retailer, but not a location of a retailer. It could be anywhere where that retailer does business, online, in-store. And so, but has, you, has your personal information too, right, as part of your credit card info? So we don't touch that. So we that happens all in. Uh, so our processor fully PCI compliant. So full technically doesn't see any of it either. And so what happens is everybody is completely disintermediated from actually being at a point where they actually could have that data. So the retailers separated, your bank is separated, even our processor is separated because only the processor is seeing that you paid us. And so all of all of it is working to essentially obfuscate you know, what data is being shared at any given moment. Right. Now, there are plenty of ways, and you can always be more private, but that alone is leaps and bounds better than what the current system offers to everyday people. When you swipe your credit card at a given spot, you're giving it um, your, your location data, personal details to, at minimum, six people or six groups. And all those six groups have licenses and contracts to sell it out to who knows who. And so the very fact of coming in and using Fold for the payment, number one, you're going to get Bitcoin cash back, but you're also going to make sure that none of that flow of data is going into those existing channels. Right. Um, what's the hardest part about doing all this for you? I mean, it seems like you travel a lot, but what, what uh, and it's super exciting, obviously, what doesn't matter what you're doing in the Bitcoin industry, you know, it's, it's just incredibly exciting and, you know, hope for the future, all that kind of stuff. But day to day, uh, grind wise, what's, uh, what's the most challenging aspect for you? You know, I, I've, my, my background is, you know, building, building businesses, technology products, um, in consumer, in payments. And so on the surface, it's, you know, I'm building something, trying to make it wor worthwhile for people, something I believe in. And that, and, and something that's an actual business, not for, you know, hyper Bitcoinization in 10, 20, 50 years, but like right now business. And that's hard no matter what you're doing to build a product and an actual business on that. But I think the hardest thing is that there is an element when you are working in, you know, with Bitcoin and trying to evangelize it to the people that you are, there's more attack vectors that make life a little bit more difficult. Like, the conversations with merchants, much harder. The conversations with banks to bank us, harder. Processors, harder. So 
So all of these things, we have to jump through so many more hoops than any other business would normally have to do. And we have to maintain a level and a standard of compliance and behavior that is far and above what, you know, would be allowed for, you know, any normal other, you know, cashback company or, or payment gateway. Just by the nature that we don't hide what we do, we're, 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 we are, we're very open and we're trying to provide a model of really what, you know, Bitcoiners and what Bitcoin can be, can do for you, change, you know, take, add another profile of what it can be. And that, that comes with, um, a lot more friction than, you know, any of the other businesses I've had, even regardless, it's just hard to run a business and build something new. This adds that extra little, the extra little layer that's that we get to deal with. Right. Now, you mentioned earlier that you were growing at a clip of about 100% uh, per month, right? So we grew uh, even over last month. So November over October, I believe is 156%. Right, so that's that. We get the benefit of Black Friday and stuff too. Sure, sure, fair enough. But by any metric, that's that's remarkable, right? So where do you, you know, where where do you see fold in one year, five years? Where do you see that? How do you see this playing out? I mean, fundamentally, what we're what we're doing is we just want to create a better way for people to earn and use Bitcoin, and more of anything, it's to have a better relationship to money. And we're just changing the infrastructure of how they do that. We're, we're creating a technology that introduces them to a new currency and not just introducing to a new currency. It's not just, hey, we're going to give you Bitcoin instead of cash back. That's very easy. That's something that I believe will be ubiquitous in the next five years. Everyone will offer Bitcoin as an, op- an option. It's just a better reward fundamentally. But the real challenge in the real business is introducing that Bitcoin big B, the values and the ethos about becoming a, a payments company, a rewards company, an e-commerce company that fundamentally reflects those values and brings them to the heart of retail and everyday shopping and transactions that, that we can expect. So providing a wonderful user experience that just works differently, that doesn't use your data against you or freely, um, uh, you know, gives it out to the highest bidder, that there's more consent involved, there's more control at a personal level that, that brings the, these values and ideas to the forefront. And so, you know, for us in, you know, 10, 20 years for us, it's, we like to completely change how the, the, the standard from which, you know, um, uh, a payment or a rewards company is judged by, that uh, the respect for the customer, respect for the consumer, and we believe ultimately makes a better business for the merchant, um, we're going to create the product that allows them to freely adopt that seamlessly without giving up much. I love that, man. I totally love that. Uh, last question, and then if you've got time, I'll just I'll do some of the rapid fires with you. You cool with that? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, so I noticed uh, from your LinkedIn that you have a bachelor's in rhetoric. I was just interested <laughs> in, in what that means and what that uh, what you learned in such a pursuit. Yeah, good question. I'm still, that's still, that's still a pursuit that I have. No, in fact, it was one of the best decisions I, uh, I, I made. I, 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 um, I owe a lot to that, to the education that I got. I really, really valued that. So rhetoric is actually the oldest, the oldest major, um, in existence in kind of higher education. It was one of the first that was created. And essentially it's the idea of, 
um, of how people um, tell stories to each other and convince them of what the world is or what the world should be. So we have a bunch of ways of doing that. We have science that creates this very um, uh, specific way of, okay, of, of measurement and, 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 um, and uh, ways of looking at the world that says, this is how we find truth. We have people in religion, in business, in just about everything. We all share different forms of rhetoric that we use on a daily basis to try to convince other people what is real in the world and to convince ourselves what is real. And so rhetoric is really just the study of that. It's the study of how scientific revolutions changed value systems or it's how you know religions came to be formed. It's the history of science. It's, it's an extremely broad major, but really is a very specific thing it's looking at. It's how do we use language and stories to come to consensus about what is real in this world and what are the things you need to do to make that idea successful. And so for me, when I think about, you know, Bitcoin, it's such a perfect place that I love to be in because that is that is a challenge of what we're currently doing. Like we are offering an entire new world. You and I have, are currently developing like this meme culture, um, this maximalist approach is all hardening a rhetoric around how to explain what we do, but provide a world that other people can actually think about and, and be accessible to. And so, you know, we're all world building here and rhetoric is really the study of how people have done world building in the past. Yeah, that's awesome. And I was going to say the exact same thing. I was like, man, Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin must provide you a lot of fodder for that uh, intellectual pursuit or that education that you received because, you know, obviously it's so rich in so many ways. And, and like you said, we're all just... You know, I like to think of it dancing around this fire and ripping and smashing together narratives and trying to see like what what feels and sounds and resonates with us the most truthfully, the most genuinely about this thing. And then we play with that one for a while and we find the holes in it. And we, you know, whatever is weak, we get rid of whatever strong we take forward. And this ongoing process of doing that is is well, it's why I do this podcast and it's why a lot of us talk about this all the time, because and it's why people are so uh, you know, you could call it toxic on Twitter, you could call it adamant, whatever you want to call it is because people are really trying to figure out what, you know, the quote unquote truth of this thing is. And, you know, people, people find a truth, they dig in and then they compare, they fight it with another truth. And then usually one tends to, you know, uh, win over another and that one becomes more adopted. And it's such a fascinating process because not only is that process fascinating, but what Bitcoin is, is transforming in real time, you know, so yes. the truth of what it was five years ago is somewhat different from the truth of what it was or what it is now. And yes. so we're, it's just this amazing interplay back and forth between what it, what it is, what we understand it to be, and then like ping ponging it back and forth because both are constantly changing. I, I, I could not agree more. And that's like, you know, people say, oh, God, you know, how many more podcasts do we need in Bitcoin? I'm like, more. All of it, all of it is putting up mirrors to ourselves as we have these conversations, hardening narratives, challenging it, just finding, accidentally stumbling. Like you're, you know, being in these Telegram groups, whatever. People will accidentally stumble into these memes that go wildfire throughout, you know, the way, you know, stacking sats, for instance. So yeah. like all, all of these other things that it only works because we are constantly having this feedback loop and we often talk about the same stuff over and over and over 
but that is just part of the work that needs to be done. And so, you know, when you think about this project that we're building, you know, it's not a technology. A little bit of it is, and the builders are building it. Protocol developers are working on it, but it's as much, and if not more, a social experiment as well. And so that is why, you know, this world and progress, we could not be in the same place without people like yourself, content creators who are putting up this mirror to everybody and providing this very public display of, you know, of discourse of back and forth that just, you know, hardens it, sharpens it and um, allows us to continuously grow because, you know, it's not, you're not going to just grow Bitcoin at the world. It's, it's something that's going to grow with it and, and it does change. So, you know, that's why I love being with it. It's one of the most fascinating areas of work I've been in. Um, and one of the most interesting things I can think, you know, to dedicate myself to because it is such a rich project in that way. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And this is why, you know, of course, I understand when people say, oh, not another Bitcoin podcast, because, you know, a lot of people are are jumping into it now. But one, I agree with you. I just think, you know, the more the better, because, yeah, you'll get a lot of overkill, but it increases the likelihood you'll get something unique as well. And that's what, you know, that is the whole point. And you never know, you know, you can you can intellectualize this as much as you want, but nobody could have like come up with a strategy. So Matt O'Dell, right, who popularized uh, stack stack and sats, right? That wasn't like some focus group that came up for a way like how are we going to really like generate a meme that's going to literally like really and like bring together the community and really resonate with everybody and form the foundation for how people actually approach this, at least for a period of time. That would never would have happened. But just by virtue of being interested and passionate and convicted and having these conversations, that just pops into someone's head who's coming from a certain perspective and background and use of language and all of that kind of stuff. And it, it pops up and people go, I like that. Yeah, that sounds good. That sounds Absolutely. that sounds truthful. And the so the you know the more voices we have, uh, you know, talking about this stuff, you know, back and forth, the more it's likely that another little nugget of truth is just going to pop out someday, and it's going to have a way larger. It's going to have this big impact that n neither of the people that were in conversation nor anybody listening probably expects you know but that that's what's so cool and exciting about this thing we're dancing around something that's so the magnitude is so big on so many levels that um it it will extract and and it'll extract those those nuggets of truth that we even accidentally say from time to time and they'll end up having a, a big impact across the you know the the social matrix that you were referring to I couldn't I couldn't agree more. And it's so obvious, like you look at any of the other projects that don't have this social layer, they collapse, they collapse so easily. And so, you know, it's this is entirely about, you know, people work on strengthening the protocol, people work on strengthening, you know, application and, you know, use case, and people work on, on strengthening the narrative, and it's all needs to play together. Um, and it's just so fun to watch it happen in real time. And you know, can be can be frustrating at times, but you know, overall very worth it. I agree. All right, I'll hit you with these uh, rapid fire now. Um, I, you just however long you want to answer is totally up to you. Uh, first one is, what is money? What is money? Money is relationships, exchange. It's 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 how we interact with one another. We have words and we have money. If you had to explain Bitcoin to a ten-year-old, what would you say? It's money. <laughs> he doesn't need it no more. He doesn't know much. How will you know if Bitcoin has failed? 
I would say, how will we know, how will we know if Bitcoin has failed um, when when price goes to zero? I don't think it can <laughs> fail otherwise. <laughs> what does Bitcoin success or Bitcoin succeeding look like to you? It's when we it's when we have seen the the things we've always dreamed of making the world better in these little ways. And there's so much better that we start to actually see the problems that it starts to create as a result of those great things that have come with it. When 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 the effect of it is here and we start to finally see the success that the actual incumbent problems that will inevitably come up as a result of moving to a new monetary system will start to bear itself. And then those are your new problems to solve. Interesting. I like that. You have one resource, a book, an article, a podcast episode, a website, an app to refer someone who is just coming to Bitcoin. Can't be fooled. What is it? <laughs> no, I wouldn't do that. Oh, man. I mean, I, I love I love Lop's resource because it kind of cheats. It gives me all of the uh, uh, all, all that's kind of the all of the above. Um, but let's see. Yeah, I would say I would say. Um, also, just the canon. I think, regardless of how repelled or excited you get, something like Bitcoin Standard, it says something, and it says it in very short amount of words, and it will make you, you know, whether you're aligned with its politics or not, it, it definitely provides a cogent argument for something different. I agree. I I've gifted that book. Uh, I gifted it to my father, and. Uh have recommended that my sister read it too. And it's still sitting on the bookshelf. I know neither of them have touched it yet. I'm, you know, you can't be too forceful, but I'm oh, just no. like, I you know, I, yeah, I know if you read that, you're going to have some questions. So just come on, like take a, take a weekend. It's a super short book, uh, but I'm sure, I'm sure they'll pick it up someday. What other uh, investments are you interested in other than Bitcoin? I mean, I would love to one day have some actually have some, actual physical land um that is one thing investments invest in family and friends i think that's primarily what i you know you know building a company all of the uncertainties there my best investment outside of building a company is my my you know my fiance families and friends amazing what's one piece of advice you'd give to someone just entering the space you will be frustrated and it will not all come at once the idea is just to have constant, constant doses of it, and uh, it will reveal itself when you're ready. What movie or song is most related to Bitcoin, in your opinion? Someone just posted, I think, like uh, The Big Short or something like that. And it was just incredible to see that. But I would say the real one, and one of my favorite analogies, is um, The Space Odyssey. The at the beginning, when the uh, monolith or the obelisk drops off and all the chimps are jumping around it, banging on it, and the whole movie is figuring out the relationship to what the hell this thing is without saying what it is, I think it's a really good metaphor for the project that we're embarking on. Totally. Favorite movie clip or rant of all time? So like in a movie when someone just goes off on a crazy rant, is there one that stands out? I don't know. You can't handle the truth. I <laughs> <laughs> can Bit can Bitcoin be stopped? If so, what is Bitcoin's biggest vulnerability? If not, why not? Uh, I don't think it can be stopped. I, I truly believe that there will be a constant niche. It's like water. It will find a way, and that may be a small crack it lives in for a long time. It may be find itself as, as the ocean itself, but I don't think it can go away. Um, its biggest vulnerability is um, 
is the social community around it uh, losing this feedback loop that we have created? Because I think the easiest way is to just get totally fragmented. And so if we're constantly showing a mirror to ourselves, at least we're looking at the same thing and um, focused on strengthening it in our own ways. It's when we start to fragment um, when it's still very early, I think is the, is the biggest issue. But even if we did that, it's still going to find a way. Yeah. What is uh, something about Bitcoin you don't understand very well or would like to spend more time learning about? Oh my God. Someone just posted, you know, you think people are asking, you know, when is, you know, Bitcoin's going to be ossified, the, the core protocol and everything's going to, you know, one day be the same. And I think it was Marty, someone posted all of the projects that are working in, in, in flight right now to, um, to strengthen, to improve, to optimize the system that I had no clue about. And so I think I'm generally, you know, when I work at the application layer, I can very easily lose sight of all of the work happening, happening at the subterranean level of the laying the pipes, laying the electric, you know, the, the electrical foundation, all of that, that is, is core to its success. And a lot of it can go right over my head. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a full-time job to keep up on it all, you know, and it moves so fast and it's happening so quickly that you take your, uh, you take your eye off it for a month and there's a lot more to, to look at. What is the biggest mistake you've made with Bitcoin or like a misunderstanding that you had at any point in your journey? Um, I think I had three um, initial experiences with Bitcoin before I jumped down the rabbit hole and went. And I think those experiences should have been even individually proof enough that this was a project that I need to be dedicating myself to or thinking about um, or, in, number one, investing in far more heavily um, that uh, I look back and I say, I don't think anybody could, you know, it's pretty rare for people to have such pure examples of why this technology is incredible um and not jump totally down it right away and so i'd say i I had three three chances where i totally missed it that it was just should have been obvious in hindsight yeah well if it makes you feel any better literally everybody says and thinks that way so don't beat yourself up about it too much (laughs) you can't (laughs) no you can't you gotta let that shit go uh what have you learned about yourself or how have you changed if at all as a result of learning about and interacting with bitcoin uh patience you know not just you know yes time preference about you know you know saving and you know being better with money but also about how large you know you think about you can it's easy to look back in history and see how large changes and movements happen and you you know it looks like it just happens really quickly and you know over a couple you know maybe a couple decades but you know when you're reading a paragraph it's like okay it started there ended there that's pretty wild but here i think we're living through one of them right now and to know where we're at and to have patience to know that it's not going to go faster regardless of how far you push it you just need to continue going forward and you'll you know the speed will reveal itself and so i think patience in that just as a builder too so time preference in many ways but not not necessarily investment yeah i agree totally do you have any controversial or contrarian views or opinions on bitcoin and if not on bitcoin any subject is okay uh, I do not believe MMT and Keynesian uh, economics is the devil. I believe it only is the devil when it doesn't have a balance uh, to restrain it. And so I think, number one, 
Uh, and one of the best, most valuable things about Bitcoin is it provides a counterweight to something that had been able to run wild for far too long. And so I truly believe that systems will live in tandem, uh, but they'll be restrained and totally changed as a result of it. Ballpark estimate of Bitcoin's price in five years. Oh, God, I'm so bad at this. Just you can go look at my trading history. Don't do it. Because, <laughs> um, I don't know. Five years. Maybe we're at the trough and we're at 20K. I don't know. <laughs> wow. Conservative. Very conservative. Do you have a morning routine? If so, what is it? No real morning routine. I feed the dog, go for a walk, make the coffee, you know, scan Twitter with like one eye open and um, make sure the team is doing okay and just and just jump into it. You know, I, I haven't quite found the uh, the you know the hustle porn, you know, wake up at four a.m. type of thing yet. But you know, maybe I'm missing out. You know, when I ask that question, everybody's always like, "Oh, the Tim Ferriss question or whatever." And I, to to my mind, I'm just curious. Like, is there like what do you do when you wake up to make sure that you have the kind of day that you want? You know, so. Yeah. I, I, like I guess Tim Ferriss popularized the whole morning routine, quasi hustle porn stuff. But uh, yeah, I'm just curious about what people do to you know set themselves up for a good day. I mean, practical things: drink water right when you get up. Have something in your stomach before you go straight for the coffee. Not a full breakfast, but just something in there, <laughs> and then you should be good. Uh, what happens if we're wrong? What will you do if we're wrong about this whole Bitcoin thing? We had a great time. Um, we built really cool stuff. We had a, a, a something that we believed in, which is, you know, and we not only dedicate, we did something about it, which is, you know, can't be said for a lot of people. And so a life, you know, spent that way is great. And there's incredible projects throughout history that have, have had a spectacular promise or spectacular, you know, potential and that failed. And a lot of those people will, you know, still still live or live full lives and you know some of them still remembered for just you know giving a shit about the possibility of it and representing that and i think no matter what whether this specific project as this protocol lives or dies the effects of it have already succeeded there's already been a plan b that has been made real that will be represented or inspire other things in the future yeah I, I love that response, man. And, and people, you know, people say, you know, if anything happens with Bitcoin, we'll just port the UTXO set and, you know, that will have a, we'll be able to use that for distribution of something right. else or whatever. Yeah. But I think, you know, one of the, and I'm sure you've realized this too, but particularly me, because I get to speak with all these people and interact with people that listen to the podcast on Twitter and stuff like that. So many of us, I know, just are a net part of the reason why we're enamored with this space is because we're meeting all these people that we just feel this genuine connection or or reson like, like we know we're thinking on very similar planes and and the, the the connection or resonance that that inspires is really something i think a lot of us were probably not getting in too many places in our in our social lives prior to this and at on top of that a lot of the people just tend to be bright motivated passionate like you know really seemingly great you know excellent people and so you know you could sure if, if something happens with the current protocol you can port the utxo set but i think you could also port the people set and do something pretty amazing absolutely with, with that group of people should you know this particular project something go wrong with it you know 
Couldn't agree more. Book that you've gifted the most, if at all, or recommended. Oh, okay. Um, so I just um, gifted, so I think I've recommended, you know, me being the rhetoric major, one of the foundational books for me is, is, is Nietzsche canon, Beyond Good and Evil. And so I, I annoy people by, you know, putting that in their stocking or whatever. They're like, I will never read this. Um, <laughs> but I think for me, it's one of the most influential kind of bedrock uh, books I've ever read. Um, but in terms of gifting, there is a book that I just love. and It's called Motorman by David Ole. And it was initially just passed around as a PDF and it was never published. It was just he wrote the book and, and it was never published. It was just kind of passed around on hard drives or CD-ROM and went around. And it's just this psychedelic short book that um, that no matter who you are reading it, whether you are well, you either come out, you like it or not, you are totally changed by what happened in that book or where you went in that with the the language it's almost hard to encapsulate what it's about because essentially it's about a guy who is going to find his doctor and then trying to leave his doctor and it's just very short but very um something that i guarantee you everyone is going to come out being like what the hell just happened and have some different thoughts as a result what's it called again motorman and is it publicly available yes i just bought a couple copies uh, to give out for christmas awesome i'll look into it um, in the future, when Bitcoin hits, say, a million dollars, what are you going to spend your Satoshis on that will benefit you or society? And this is a, a former guest question. Oh, let's see. I will, um, number one, I'll be able to make those investments that uh, currently, you know, are, are, you know, I've been focused on family and, and Satoshi. Uh, but, you know, after that, I would, I would hope to get uh, some, um, you know, uh, place to live for for them and a place that i can like pass on for future generations but um you know i i think i think it's going to reveal itself here i think i think there's going to be some you know things that i will love to be participating in and that will allow me to go and and do that but um you know off the top of my head oh my god i've been too focused on trying to pump the number up there anyway so <laughs> figure it out later what is one question you'd like to see added to this list Oh my God. Okay. Um, what about your past positioned you to care about Bitcoin? Ooh, good one. I like that. You're going to have to answer it now. I think, uh, so I grew up in a, in a very small rural town, um, in Northern California and there was a sense of, uh, community, uh, local ownership, um, and kind of direct, you know, direct access to, uh, the way power worked or politics you could at least see it maybe not you're not controlling it but you can see it in front of you and it's there and it's something that you can count on you can it's a neighbor thing and so i think uh something about that about something that a somehow a way to coordinate people across the globe and bring it into a way that anybody can directly at least understand what's going on and have a level playing field about how the world works and rules that are there and not be subject to things that are totally outside of where they're from or what they know or where they came from. And at least they are closer to the means of control and at least able to understand how that works. I think is a huge innovation. I think it's something that, you know, I, I, I value a lot just from my background. Yeah. All right. This is the last part should only take about 60 seconds. I'm going to say a word. You tell me the first thing that comes to your head. 
right. Democracy. People. The Lightning Network. Fast. The Corporation. Octopus. Human Rights. Good. Choice. Consent. Violence. Defense. Ego. Be humble. Consensus. Uh, not sure it's going to work out as a company. Wealth. Generational. Privacy. Uh, foundational. Important. Hate speech. Speech. Gold. Silver. Guns. Uh, uh, let's see here. Guns. Bang. Revolution. Let's go. Socialism. Government. Family. Love. Inequality. Always. Hell. Here. Liberty. Soon. Energy. Love. And Bitcoin. Values. That's it, Will. That's all I got for you, man. I, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time standing out there uh, wherever you are, beside a, a road or on a park bench. I know it's probably not the uh, ideal spot for you. In the middle of foggy San Francisco. Yeah, I was going to say it doesn't look too sunny there. No, definitely not. Good to see all these tourists walking around thinking they were coming to like sunny California. <laughs> is uh, Do you want to shout out any of the Fold stuff or your Twitter? Is there anything you want to share? I'm uh, at WLRVS on Twitter. There's foldapp.com. Check, check the app out, iOS, Android. But honestly, just engage with the builders that are there. Like one of the things that we love as builders is listening to the podcast and understanding what other people are doing and other perspectives. And I encourage people to do the both, the same of applications that are being built. I don't care whose it is or what they're building. Engage with it look at it, improve it, um, give your perspective on you know, how it relates to the larger project if it's trying to accomplish the goal because um, that, only, that only is going to make, the, make it better um, and the teams I know appreciate it massively. So whatever it is. Couldn't agree more. I think that's, that's great advice. And uh, yeah, I love what you guys are doing. Wish you the best of luck in, uh, in your future plans. And uh, you'll have to hit me up regarding... Uh, Canadian merchants and retailers and stuff. So while I'm home, I can stack as many sats as I possibly can, especially over the the Christmas, uh, the upcoming Christmas holidays. We will. Uh, I'll put you on the the list of of uh, Canadians that need to be in. Uh, let you know, be aware of it right when it goes. Because exactly. There's a lot on that waiting list. Yeah, absolutely. All right, man. Well, listen. You take care and uh, look forward to chatting sometime in the future. All right. Thank you very much. Have a good one. All right, brother. Later.